Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. While you're standing, if you would get your Bibles and join me in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, I'm going to read two verses, verses 5 and 6. It's so good to see all of you in the house of the Lord. Thank you for being here today and all of you joining us online. Thank you for tuning in, watching, listening. If you're listening to this in our podcast, thank you for listening and subscribing. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Good to see some new faces. Good to see some old faces. <laughs> Thank you for praying for me last week while I was gone, preaching in North Platte and Ogallala. Uh, that Sunday morning, there was a lady, I'm not for sure her age, she was in, in her elder years, but she come down over on the right-hand side and wanted prayer, and she was on a crutch, and we got all done. She was bending her knees and moving them like she never had before. She was dancing and had laid her crutches down. And then Sunday night, it happened again. A, a pastor's wife had some hip issues and couldn't hardly move and stand, but God healed her. And when she went to the doctor the next day, he said, I don't understand. She goes, I do. God healed me. <laughs> so, amen. Praise God. We give God the glory. Amen. Hebrews 11. Verses 5 and 6, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And for just a few moments of your time I'm going to preach, teach, treach on this subject, Psalm 151, my personal testimony. Let us pray. Father, you are the living word, and I ask now that you make my tongue the pen of a ready writer, that you would speak both your logos and your rima to your church. Lord Jesus, open our understanding that we might comprehend the scripture, that you might write it upon our hearts and minds so that we can apply it and cause every hindrance to be rebuked to God, bring every thought captive to the obedience of your name, and we ask it and pray it and believe it in the name of Jesus. And would you say amen? amen. You may be seated. The Lord bless you. Well, as you may already well know, there is no Psalm 151. And uh, I remember when I was talking to someone originally about this idea, they were like, how are you going to do that? There is no Psalm 151. And uh, so that's why we're in Hebrews today because there's no Psalm 151. Um, but using Enoch's induction into the hall of faith, what I like to call God's hall of faith, using that uh, induction, if, you, if I can say it that way, I want to I preach this message to you. And I want to just start by saying this. When my time on earth is done, I hope that my testimony is similar to Enoch's. That they, that they can say at my funeral, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Above all else, that's what I want to have as my testimony. You know what's interesting to me about Enoch here is, number one, he's the second person inducted. Abel is the first, and then we have Enoch. What's interesting about this to me is Enoch never saw God, or at least Scripture does not bear out that if he did. There's no angel of the Lord that appears to him. 
There's no manifestation of God as a theophany. There's no fire consuming a bush uh, or any of those sorts of things. He just believed God was without any evidence. This is interesting to me because this is before the New Testament. This is well before Jesus says to Thomas, you know, you've seen and believed, but blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. And here's Enoch without, and again, if there was evidence of him having something like that, the scripture doesn't tell us, so we have to just go with what we know from scripture. But with what we know, he didn't have any of those moments where God spoke to him like God did Noah. And yet he believed God existed. And he believed God would reward those that diligently sought him. Here's something you may not know about Enoch. He lived to be 365 years old. But it, he doesn't start having this faith in God until he's 65. So the first 65 years of his life, there's no evidence that he believes God exists. But something happens at age 65. His son Methuselah is born. You can read all this in Genesis, by the way. I'm doing all the hard work for you uh, with, you know, all these he-begats and all that. But you, you can find that at 65, something triggered. Again, we don't know what that was. Was it the birth of his son? Was he holding Methuselah for the first time and realized, wow, there must be a God? I don't know. But whatever it was, he began believing God and walked with God every day for the next 300 years. Please, God, so much so that God says, you know what? I'm not going to let him taste death. Boom, come on up here, Enoch, you're done. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine being Methuselah? Mom says, hey, go check on dad. It's time for supper. He goes out in the field. There's no dad. Well, check the other field. Check the barn. No dad. Well, where'd he go? I don't know. <laughs> He's gone. <laughs> they didn't have Facebook. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't have 911. You know, Enoch's just gone. But that's the kind of testimony I want to please God. Now, as I begin studying and preaching the Psalms, which, by the way, began in March of 2016. I studied the various psalmists. Again, there's 50 of them that are unknown psalmists. We don't know who wrote them. There were many times I felt like I was reading their personal journal. The more I searched and researched the history of each psalm, the more I felt like I was there with the psalmist in the moment. I, I witnessed Heman, and I knew what it was like to feel like Heman thinking that darkness was his only companion in Psalm 88 and verse 18. I experienced the feeling of almost backsliding with Asaph in Psalm 73, verse 2. I cried with David when a close companion betrayed me in Psalm 55, 12 through 14. And, and then, as I'm looking at all these different things, it dawned on me. What if God recorded my private journal? What if years later... Somebody has found a journal somewhere of mine and is now preaching from it to encourage other people. And my life is on display like the psalmist was. What would others think if they were to read my life story? Oh, I'm confident that if, if it was like Psalms 22, 23, and 24, people would rejoice because, man, David saw the cross and resurrection and the second coming of Jesus. Wow, he was a cool dude. But I'm also confident that people would say, oh yeah, yeah, he needed to repent when the prophet approached him in Psalm 51. Then I thought, would I be able to praise God 
worship Him regardless of my circumstances? Would I be willing to allow others to know my true testimony? And so I decided the answer is yes. And so, friends, fellow believers, all of you online, my personal testimony. I was raised in an apostolic home. I was born again in Jesus' name when I was nine. Quite an interesting story with that. We were raised to believe that Jesus could come at any minute. We knew there would be trumpets. We knew there would be flashes of light in the eastern sky and all this. And this particular night, my dad had gone to pick up mom from work, took my sister. I'm staying at home playing with my Legos or something. My bedroom was right across the end of a cul-de-sac from a high school stadium. And all of a sudden, all the lights came on and the band started playing. And I thought for sure Jesus had come literally, and, and started screaming and crying and repenting, so much so that when mom and dad pulled back in the driveway, mom thought the burglar must have been in there, you know, somehow hurting me or something and came running in, and only to find me repenting and praying, and uh, that was a Saturday night, Sunday, I get, or Friday night, excuse me, that Sunday I get the Holy Ghost, and I got baptized on Monday, praise God, never look back, but being raised in a Bible-believing home, did not shield me from physical or emotional abuse. My dad was often what I would call the on-again, off-again type. His dad died when I was seven. Papa Bill was my buddy. He was a, um, with the police force. I loved getting right in the car. He would never let me turn on the sirens, though, but get to ride in the car with him. That was fun. But when Papa Bill died, something changed. I still don't know what that was because now my dad is dead and I have no way of knowing what might have triggered him. But I feel like the Lord gave me some hope in this recently when I realized prior to that, I've got some good memories and after that, not so good memories. And so it was at that moment that something must have happened. You can talk to my wife or Jackie for deeper thoughts on what might have been happening there in, in his mind and uh, all of that. But these moments... I would feel like at sometimes there would be a turning point. But then, of course, the bottom would fall out. All hell would break loose, and I'd get beat or something else. And as my formative years turned into adolescence, my dad and I grew further and further apart. At the age of 11, my dad uh, inadvertently introduced me to pornography. Now, he did not come out and hand me something. Um, but part of my chores was to clean uh, in the rooms and he had left a drawer open, and it was just an unspoken rule. You didn't open the, you know, your parents' nightstand drawers, but his was left wide open with some magazines there. But looking back, I also realized something else. It was that same year at the age 11, in fact, that same house where God called me to preach. And I could see that Satan was trying to stop what God was doing in my life. If Dad was to hear my side of the story in defense of something, he would never believe it. And would often punish me without cause um, or reason. And I never could understand that. And so this treatment or mistreatment caused me to develop a core belief of helplessness. Um, it would not be until my dad's death that I recognized this core belief. But since realizing it with God's help and of course my wife's, I'm overcoming it in Jesus' name. I would love to tell you that everything ended well and everything was great and we reconciled and 
end my Psalm 151 with we hugged and great things happened, but it didn't. In 2011, just about a year after we had moved to Omaha, my dad wanted to come up and visit, so we did. I attempted to build the bridge of reconciliation and trust and respect, but dad did not want to be honest, refused to talk, refused to go there, if you will, and informed me that I no longer had a father and he no longer had a son. And so instead of building a bridge, burned one, and I wept that night feeling like I had attended his funeral. I wouldn't weep very much at his actual funeral except for the tears of disappointment of what could have been. And for 10 years, from 2011 to 2021, I can count on one hand how many times we talked because he would change his number so many times. I would call, I would text, and would get back these strange messages or out of service or whatever, and I'd have to wait until he texted, and then, oh, you've got a new number, okay. The only bright spot, uh, bright spot excuse me, in this part of the testimony would be that in the final days of his life, I still to this day hold no animosity toward him. I told him I loved him, I forgave him. He thanked me told me he loved me, and those were our last words. To some extent, I know how David must have felt when he wrote in Psalm 27.10 about being forsaken by his parents. Neither of my children knew him well because of his choice to disown. And ironically, at his funeral, everybody came up to me, oh, you're, you're Myron Powell, yeah. Oh, your dad loved you so much. I'm like, really? Interesting. They knew stuff about me that you would only know if you knew my dad or, you know, my mom or whatever. And I'm like, wow, yeah, that's true. Surprised he didn't tell me all this stuff. But, alas, he didn't. From adolescence to adulthood and now on into, I'm approaching those golden years. I understand that I was not who my earthly dad said I was. Instead, I am who my heavenly father says I am. I'm far from perfect, but I'm thankful that Shannon and I have been blessed to raise two beautiful children who are living for God. One is married and one has already started talking to me about getting married. This weekend was quite a conversation of budgets and venues and times and I'm like, you realize what you're doing to me, Brooklyn. <laughs> I told Colin when we went to Maine, I said, you know, you got to meet the family because if they don't approve, I don't approve. <laughs> I was hoping they didn't approve, but they did, unfortunately. Man, every one of them. My Day one, father-in-law fell in love with them. I'm like, oh, oh, man. Quit saying the right things, Colin, you know. <laughs> but I am thankful that they're walking in the truth today. You see, I learned a long time ago that I cannot change where I came from, but I can change where I'm going. Jeremiah experienced a moment of distrust in God due to Israel's rejection of the message. 
He took their rejection of God personally and internalized the pain. But God reassured Jeremiah in chapter 15, verses 10 through 21. He said, if you'll extract the precious from the vial, that I will put my word in your mouth, Jeremiah, and I will bless and protect and deliver you. And likewise, God helped me to take the precious from the vial of my experience and gave me a testimony to share with others. One such precious from the vial moment occurred just this year. In fact, in October, on the anniversary of my dad's death, October 11th, 2022, I realized that that one year anniversary of his death was also the 35th anniversary of my preaching. In other words, on the day he died was the day I began preaching, October 11th, 1987. So just like the irony of being called to preach in the same year that dad would introduce me to porn, God gave me a sense of hope that on that day, which is marked by something dark or tragic, there's also something life within that same day. One of the most memorable moments that I can look back to, and every time I travel to Augusta, I always go to that spot in the altar. It, it's about, uh, about where John, you are, give or take, in that area right in there uh, uh, from that left side from the pulpit. And it was in 1996 that I was standing there holding my son on one arm and my hands in the air. Braxton was probably six, seven months old at the time. And dealing with some of my own struggles and facing some of my own realities and realizing I did not want to walk the path that my dad had walked and become that way and praying that. And just nights before in my apartment had prayed, God, don't let me be that way. And as I held Braxton that night, nobody knew. I hadn't told Shannon. I hadn't told Pastor Stoops or nothing. But as I'm praying that night, he comes over, lays his hands on me and prophesies and says that the curse had stopped with me and it would not extend to my children. What a joy that was to latch onto that prophetic word and now today to see that that prophecy has come true. Little did I know how powerful that prophecy would be because when I was talking to Scott Graham, who is my son's father-in-law, and we were talking about are our children right for each other? We're two grown men. We're two good friends, but we want to make sure that my son's getting the right wife and his, his daughter's getting the right husband, and we're talking as fathers would do, and he asked me some stuff, and I shared with him that story, and he related a similar story that had happened with him and some of the connections or disconnections, you might say, he had with his own father, and, and again, to see how God had prophetically brought our children together minus any kind of a curse has certainly been a precious from the vile moment. And I believe that if God can do that for me, God can do that for you. Shannon and I, this October, shared 29 years of marriage and ministry. Our whole marriage has been all about ministry as well. Our children are adults now, loving God and fulfilling their unique call to minister. We started in August of this year a podcast, and shout out to Jeremy Miller, our producer, for doing a great job, and his wife for keeping him in line. Amen. <laughs> but uh, appreciate them so much. But we started this podcast to share with people the resources they can use to succeed. If you haven't subscribed to it, just, you know, a little shameless plug here. Go, go subscribe. You need to listen to it. A lot of things there that you can help you. But people struggle and they need to know that there's hope. And, and I believe that, that, you know, with God's hand on our life and you can, you can see that. One of the things that we have learned and we're practicing is that uh, 
you can move from a victim mindset to a victory mindset. And, and one of the key ways to do that is to identify the lie that the enemy is telling you. Replace it with God's truth and then boldly declare his word over your life and in your life. And if you're like me, I like to use different types of uh, functions and sequences and the control, alt, delete, you know, to reset something. Well, you know, control yourself, alter, but A-L-T-A-R. In other words, get to an altar. Alter your thoughts and delete negativity. It's kind of the same principle. And doing these stem from the Bible, and if you do, you can become one who lives in peace. So I, I, I come to this point and I ask, what is your Psalm 151? In 90, or excuse me, 90, my Lord. In 2019 and then also in 21, we did a series of, of testimonies. And we may do that again next year. I don't know. I haven't yet got a green light from God on it or not. But, but many of you have stood in this very pulpit and expressed a testimony. So what is your Psalm 151? Will you share it with others? Despite how... It might bring up things that you may not want to remember, but can you, like I've showed you today, find the precious from the vile and, and take the good from within the bad and use that to see what God's going to do with your life? Do you realize that your testimony has the ability to influence others to persevere themselves? You see, the woman of Samaria, she had traded her tumultuous life for a testimony that influenced an entire region. Listen, here, here's the quote. If Jesus has transformed your mess into a message of his mercy, the least you can do is share it with others. Sharing your testimony is one of the best ways to give God the most superlative praise possible. Here's why. Another quote for you. If you withhold your testimony, you rob God of praise, others of hope, and yourself of feeling the sweet release of joy. So make the wise and best choice to share what God has done for you. Give Him all the praise and thanks and worship that He deserves and experience His surpassing peace. Like I've done today, you don't have to tell the whole story. I didn't go into every detail, but enough for you to understand and frame at least some sense of what my psalm would be. But you do have to share your testimony. And all of us have one. And it's different from everybody else's. But if we'll share it, what hope it can bring to others. Amen. Well, I know this is not your typical kind of message, but I do believe it's a game-changing moment, as you said, Brother Jeff. And here's why. Because somebody right now could be waiting to hear your message, your testimony. You see, they may come to church. They may hear the preacher preach. They may log in and listen to the podcast or watch the live stream. It's very possible. We have a lot of people that do. But they may also see the testimony of your life, and that might be the thing that causes them to believe in Jesus. You see, we live in a world that is so hurt, so confused, and is searching for something. 
There's an emptiness. And they know the government can't fulfill it. And they know a better career isn't going to necessarily fulfill it. And they know that other things in life and bottles and pills aren't going to fulfill it. And so what they're doing is they're searching for something. And your testimony just might be that something that could give them hope. I don't know if any of you have seen The Chosen. You can watch it in various ways and venues, the app, The Chosen app, um, Angel Studios app. You can, Pure Flix has it. I think it's even on Netflix now. Um, Amazon Prime even has it. So it's, it's in an abundance of places. If you haven't, you need to. I promise you it's awesome. You can ask my wife, how many times have I rewatched it, honey? A thousand probably. And that's not an exaggeration. I, I love it. It, it. it ministers to me something new every time. Well, with the uploading of season three, um, which is coming out in the app today, Matt Mayer has written a song um, that captures the first two seasons and captures the essence even of what I've preached to you today. I was one way but now I'm different. There was a clear change in a holy collision. These are the, some of the lyrics. Who I was and who I'll forever be, and he was the in-between. I want you to watch this video, if you would, for just a moment. From death to light, from darkness to shine, from fear to a peace I can't explain. From doubts to a hope, holding on and letting go of all the empty promises of shame.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Why don't we stand together right now and let's just take a moment to worship the Lord and thank Him for who He is. Come on. Come on, can we just magnify the Lord together and thank Him? Can we thank Him for what He's done and forgiving us, washing us, cleansing us, purifying us? Can we thank God? Praise team, if you would come on up, hallelujah. Can we just thank God together? Come on, is Jesus your in-between? Like you just saw in that video, like you heard of my testimony, is Jesus that in-between? Is he the one that if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't be where you are today? Oh, come on. Thank you, Lord. Come on. Can we love him? Can we thank him? Can we praise him? He's worthy. Can we honor him today? Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. As the praise team begins to sing this song, if you want God to just give you a fresh courage to share your testimony, if, if you want God to minister to you, if you know He's your in-between and you just want to take a moment to thank Him, I wonder if you could just find a place to worship and pray. You could come around this front, move out into the aisle, and let's just close this service out thanking God that He cleansed us, washed us, purified us, made us new in Jesus' name.